0: Hey y'all, it's Dr. Samina Rahman, Gyno Girl. I'm a board certified gynecologist, a clinical assistant professor of OBGYN at Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine, and owner of a private practice for almost a decade that specializes in menopause and sexual medicine. I'm a South Asian American Muslim woman who is here to empower, educate, and help you advocate for health issues that have been stigmatized, shamed, and perhaps even prevented you from living your best life. I'm better than your best girlfriend and more open than most of your doctors. I'm here to educate so you can advocate. Welcome to Gyno Girl presents: Sex, Drugs, and Hormones. Let's go! Hey, y'all! It's me, Dr. Samina Rahman, Gyno Girl. I am so excited! I just recorded an amazing, amazing conversation with my friend, Dr. Corin Men, She is a board-certified OBGYN who is a 23-year survivor of breast cancer. And we really get into the nitty-gritty of whether or not a breast cancer survivor or a previvor, someone that has increased risk of breast cancer, either BRCA1, 2, or, you know, check one of these mutations, whether or not they should or can take hormone therapy. And I'm so excited to bring you this because there's in the, in the world of menopause, which we all know is having a moment out there, the one group that's still getting left out of the conversation are breast cancer survivors, thrivers, previvors. And so in my in the way that I've been doing my podcast with patient stories and then patient education, I got two into one because this is her own personal journey and what she does for herself and also she is an expert in this field. And so remember, precision-based medicine is what we like to do, individualized medicine, where we look at everyone's risks and benefits, and it's a shared decision-making. So that's what we have to come out of. It. But again, I'm here to educate so you can advocate. So stay tuned for Dr. Corrin Min. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to my podcast. I am so excited today to have my buddy, Dr. Corrin Men here to talk about all things breast cancer and hormone therapy. So Dr. Korenman is a board-certified OBGYN. Um, she is a certified menopause doctor through the Menopause Society. She's also a 23-year survivor of breast cancer and premature menopause. is a BRCA carrier and uses her own personal experience to help women navigate their own healthcare challenges. She's dedicated her um, practice to menopause management and the unique healthcare needs of female cancer survivors and those at high risk for breast cancer. She now practices exclusively through telehealth. Uh, Dr. Men provides women's health consultations throughout the country. She is also a medical advisor and prescribing doctor for Alloy and Menopause Telehealth pro- Platform. And she's an active member of the Menopause Society and a fellow of the American College of OBGYN. She's amazing. Everybody loves her. She's got a great presence on um, social media. That's how we met. And we are friends in real life now, which is awesome because we met at many conferences at this point. So, And I love collaborating with her because she always brings such great insight to everything that we do. And so far, I've been interviewing, Patients to talk about their journeys. And I wanted to incorporate, you know, uh, clinicians and their expertise. And now we've got both in one
1: with Dr. Men.
0: So please, everyone, welcome Dr. Men. And we are going to get
1: into it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. And really, this is the whole reason for my mission is that kind of it's my experience as a patient has deeply informed and transformed my career. And I think finally at, I'm almost 51 on Sunday at turned 51, Ooh, at birthday. 23 years being a breast cancer survivor, I really have found my groove and my calling and my mission going forward, which is to kind of advocate for the most vulnerable women. Mm-hmm which includes young breast cancer survivors in particular.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, you know, they oftentimes get dismissed and not enough attention goes to the breast cancer survivorship and thrivership, right? Like it's all about surviving and you should be happy you're alive versus, hey, that- I need to thrive in my lifetime and have a good quality of life. We like to say thrivers, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're going to talk about your journey, however much, you know, you've been so great on social media, kind of like, you know, explaining everything to p- patients. I've had patients tell me like, oh, do you know Dr. Men? I saw that you on Instagram. And so, um, you know, I think that that and the way that you explain things are so clear for so many people that it's been amazing just to even um, follow you along. I guess the first question that I I wanted to ask you because this is the thing, even like no matter how many times I post about vaginal estrogen or estrogen, and no matter how many times I can say it because of the stupid black box warning, I always have a patient say, well, does estrogen cause breast cancer? Do hormones cause breast cancer? I mean, this is always the number one worry. We always say, you know, heart disease is still the number one killer in women, but women are fearful the most of breast cancer. So let's answer that first, Dr. Men. do do hormones cause breast cancer?
1: No, they do not cause breast cancer. And at this point in time, this is not an opinion. We have decades of data, both in the cancer literature the menopausal hormone therapy literature. And we can say menopausal hormone therapy does not cause breast cancer. And If you got breast cancer, right, your hormones didn't cause it, right? If you have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, this is a very basic bit of information everyone should understand. If you have estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, it just means your breast cancer cells have retained the receptor to estrogen. All of our breast cells, your breast cells, you don't have breast cancer, right? Right. Well, your breast cells right now have estrogen receptors on there, okay?
0: In fact, from head to toe, wouldn't you say we have estrogen receptors all oh, over our at. body? That's why menopause is such exactly. a. Exactly.
1: So if you develop breast cancer, and your type of breast cancer, your cells, when they look at it under a microscope and in, the, in their lab tests, they can still see the breast, the estrogen receptor. Then they're going to call it estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. Doesn't mean that estrogen caused your breast cancer, right? Um, and it also doesn't mean that you can't use vaginal estrogen to treat your genitourinary symptoms. And then today we're also going to talk about what about systemic estrogen after a breast cancer diagnosis, which is like the third rail of medicine that nobody wants to talk about, but we need to.
0: Absolutely. So I think that, uh, you know, we can make pretty clear and I think there are oncologists that are pretty much on board with the fact that the use of vaginal estrogen or vaginal DHEA in the vagina for genital urinary syndrome and menopause, which as a reminder is that urinary frequency, urgency, frequent UTIs, vaginal dryness, pain with sex, uh, vaginal discomfort, all of that, that can impair your quality of life, that most everyone in the world could take it without much prop without much difficulty. And I think we can say that for breast cancer survivors. I think we can say that for patients who have heart disease. I think we can say that across the board because there is no
1: systemic rise in your estrogen levels using these medications, correct? correct? And we, and we, in fact, we have said it. The North American, now the Menopause Society, ACOG, ASCO, they all have clear guidance on this that says it can be used, right? Their language is conservative, They say after consulting with your oncologist, you can, but the reality is it's in their practice guidelines. And there's so many studies just recently that have been published, review studies and a number of, of, you know, important things in literature that have confirmed the safety of it. And yes, even in estrogen receptor positive breast cancer. Yes. Even if you're on tamoxifen. And yes, even if you're on an aromatase inhibitor, if you're on an aromatase inhibitor, we may choose to be extra cautious and use maybe a little bit, even there's some lower dose vaginal hormone products or mm-hmm. vaginal DHA, but there is a role for using that and you don't have to suffer, right? So we can just move on from yes. that because it is clear. There is no controversy.
0: There's no controversy with that. So um, for those of you listening, check that off because we have said this time and time again. But what we want to get into a little bit more is really around like patients who are now thriving past breast cancer. They've survived the treatment. They're thriving in life. They may be young like yourself who got diagnosed at a very early age. They may be older, whatever the case may be. But now they are surviving with no evidence of disease. They may or may not have estrogen-positive status. What's the next front? That's the next frontier for, for breast cancer survivors, don't you think? Yeah, it is.
1: And and so let's just first identify the problem. And as what you said is that we've got a growing body of survivors, right? We've got about 4 million breast cancer survivors in the U.S. alone and growing, okay? Every year, it's about 300,000 new invasive breast cancers that are diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And fifty more than 55,000, DCIS cancers that are, di- or DCIS cases that are diagnosed. And the incidence of breast cancer is increasing mm-hmm. at 0.5% every year, mm-hmm. right? So th- you've got an army of, like you say, thrivers, and it's getting bigger. And in addition to those thrivers, we have a lot of previvors mm-hmm. that are kind of, the, you know, in this gray zone, these previvors are women who have either a very strong family history of breast cancer, or they carry a BRC1 or 2 mutation or other genetic mutation. Right. And so the issue with these thrivers and these previvors is that they're entering menopause either naturally or prematurely. And in many cases, prematurely from either chemotherapy, the effects of, um, hormone suppression, ovarian suppression, and then being, give, you know, given an aromatase inhibitor or just having their ovaries removed. In the cases of breast cancer survivors, they may have them removed for a variety of reasons. Or for previvors, they're doing it as a prophylactic reason to prevent ovarian cancer so we basically have all of these women and we're ignoring the big elephant in the room is that they are all going to go through menopause at some point Mm -hmm. right so what are we doing with that so there's a huge discussion in the general population on just general menopause management right and kind of celebrating that we should really embrace hormone therapy and that really understand that for the vast majority of women, the benefits far away, the risks, and there's so many health benefits. But what the problem is, is this army of women I'm talking about, they're being left out of that conversation. Absolutely. They're like, Well, what about me? What about my bone health and my cardiac health and my brain health, right. right? What are we doing, right? And so, and then the problem is even more kind of severe. It's not just like, what am I going to do in like, na- you know, menopause? data on premature menopause and what those impacts, what what it does to your preventative health is really not discussed with these cancer survivors, right? So big study, the Mayo Clinic cohort study of oophorectomy and aging, all right? So, and then also the nurse's health study. These showed, here are the quotes we've got, 67% increased risk of all-cause mortality, mainly driven by cardiovascular disease. And this is all driven from premature menopause and the ill effects, right? right? But also increased risks of depression, arthritis, asthma, COPD, osteoporosis, Mm -hmm. hip fracture, mood disorder, sexual dysfunction, okay? So we basically are artificially making women, you know, menopausal earlier Mm -hmm. or natural menopause. But these earlier patients have these very significant health risks. And we know many of those health risks could be mitigated by the use of estrogen therapy. Because you and I both know in a premature menopause patient, so someone who has menopause prior to age 40, 45, 40, right, that the standard of care is they get full replacement hormones at least the age of natural menopause because their health risks are so high. So- how can we reconcile that with our breast cancer survivors, right? We have to balance the risk of breast cancer recurrence and mortality. Of course, that's what we all want to live, right? Against all of the collateral damage that is, is more than just a bothersome hot flash. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking about real serious health risks right. that are being thrust upon this survivor population. Absolutely. And so I think, We first have to just like what is the problem because some people are like, oh, it's just a hot flash. Exercise Mm -hmm. more. Take something non-hormonal for your hot flashes. Those are really important things that we need to talk about. Absolutely, but you're still ignoring that those things are not going to lower that dramatically the risks that we just named. Right? Like we really need to, and I think women, young survivors in particular, we've been dealt a hard blow. We we've we've had to interpret and. Um, kind of make a lot of very hard decision weighing risks versus benefits. We have to decide lumpectomy, mastectomy. We have to decide on chemotherapy. We have to decide on adjuvant endocrine therapy. We have to decide on reconstruction. We can handle the conversation of risks versus benefits. And oncologists in general are very good at a risk benefit analysis because, like, that's what they have to do every day right. to explain to patients: this is your risk of recurrence. If I give you this medicine versus this versus this, right. all right. Uh-huh. So there's no reason why they shouldn't also be able to do that. Once someone has completed their primary treatment for cancer, that's what we're talking about today. People have done your cancer treatment, right? You're finished, you're done. You know, we're not advocating that anybody with, you know, forgo some of these life-saving treatments. Mm -hmm. But when you're in this next phase, you deserve to say, okay, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? How am I going to manage it? What I find, and tell me what you see in your patients, is that even the option of having a discussion is off limits. It is completely shut down. There is literally, there is no option. When they say, what about HRT? No. Right. Categorical refusal to not, to and say that the data just says it's dangerous. And that's what they're told. Yes, me. And that's what I find. And then patients are like, well, my oncologist said no. My GYN says they have to defer to the oncologist. And then so the patients are just left in the lurch. That's what I find.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, if you think about it, okay, we have these thrivers that have, you know, overcome this breast cancer diagnosis, and many of them, you know, higher stage, whatever, and they're doing well, and maybe they're in their early 40s. And all of a sudden, you're going to let heart disease kill them. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's still going to be the number one killer in their situation. So we're talking about longevity and quality of life as well. It's not only just, you know, overcoming the breast cancer and knowing what your risk are, but I do find that, you know, it's always a hard stop. And, and of course, you know, our government has a lot to do with that, with the FDA and, and and their black box warnings and, you know, even on everything. But I, but I think that the conversation isn't even broached, isn't even broached in, 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 in cancer survivors or previvors, um, which is unfortunate. Like if you're, you know, you're done with your treatment, you're doing well, like, and, but you're struggling, you're struggling with hot flashes, night sweats. We know hot flashes, night sweats, they say it's, you know, it can't kill you, but we know actually, you know what? They maybe can because they can lead to that metabolic dysfunction, that can lead to that sleep disturbance, they can lead to that cardiac issues that uh, women do actually die from. So that all
1: cause mortality is what we're talking about. And so, yeah, and so your listeners to make sure that so they because we we really comfortable with this data, but so patients understand is that what the data has shown is that women who are new to menopause and if they start HRT. Estrogen therapy within the first ten years, ideally, right. that they have a wonderful window of opportunity to significantly decrease the risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, certainly osteoporosis, as well as all the symptomatic and quality of life. So this is why we're hammering home this kind of cardiac thing because there's very good data Absolutely. showing decreasing cardiac, you know, deaths
0: and and all co- like all cause mortality really and
1: yeah. all cause mortality in fact. And the data that I had just mentioned for the premature menopause. It, it's even more. It's more pronounced those benefits when you're talking about women who going through they're going through menopause at a mm-hmm. younger age, right? So, and while you and I are a hundred percent, I know on board for our patients that you know we have to always look holistically. Patients need it's not all hormones, right? Aggressive lifestyle right. interventions, you know. Really, you know, solid nutrition, weight bearing exercise, stress reduction, all of these types of good health. But to deny them one of one of the tools in our toolkit for dealing with menopause, to completely deny them any access to systemic estrogen therapy or the knowledge of what the data shows is is really not the practice of good Mm -mm. medicine at all. And so I think the what I'd like to start out and just kind of say like we always like we bring receipts, you and I, we always have Mm -hmm. our data, right? We're not just you know, spewing opinions, right? So let's start with the thing that you and I are constantly quoting, the 2022 Menopause Society Position Statement. And so if you just read titles and like the buzzwords, you'll see, okay, contraindication to hormone therapy, breast cancer, right? right? That's written as a contraindication. But we know everything in life is you know, there's nothing really right. absolute. There's relative right. contradictions right. to everything. There's very right. few absolutes. So, if you actually go and you actually read in the Menopause Society guidelines, and I'm just going to sure. read it right to you because I think it's better to just hear. So, hormone therapy after breast cancer. Um, and then we're going to do a, we're going to talk about an excellent review article that looks like right. all the data. But this is what the Menopause Society says two randomized controlled studies reported conflicting outcomes of breast cancer recurrence with hormone therapy. One study, the HABITS trial, did show an elevated risk of breast cancer recurrence in hormone therapy users, but it was only local or contralateral breast, no distant recurrence and no increased breast cancer deaths. It goes on to say, it says, although systemic use of hormone therapy in survivors of breast cancer is generally not advised, if symptoms of estrogen deficiency are severe and unresponsive to non-hormonal options... Women in consultation with their oncologists may choose hormone therapy after being fully informed. Several observational studies in women with a history of breast cancer have shown decreased risks of recurrent breast cancer or a neutral effect compared with non-users. And mortality was reported to be reduced in breast cancer survivors who used hormone therapy. Four meta-analysis reported similar findings. They do point out a confounding factor in all of these observational studies is that women who are at lower risk of recurrence might be more likely to elect right. hormone therapy, and point out that the Stockholm Breast Center study, which was a randomized controlled study, showed no effect on breast cancer recurrence in hormone therapy users relative to non-users after four point years, four point one years, and again at ten point eight years. So. That is just the little tidbits just in the menopause society. So, when when someone goes to their GYN or their oncologist and asks about this and they say, absolutely not. No, it's dangerous. No, you can't. Well, just what I just read there is actually, no, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And I think we deserve to know that information. I think that, you know,
0: where we lose patients a lot is, you know, this whole okay, active breast cancer, of course, contraindicated, right? But like, when you're in 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 this recovery phase, and your quality of life is crap, and you're not getting anywhere, you know, bringing this data to your GYN or your internist or whatever, actually may be beneficial. Some of them might not even know. I mean, Dr. Men, tell us, like, you went through this. I, one of my big things and one of my key terms in my podcast has been, I'm here to educate so you can advocate. And so, like, how did you advocate for yourself? I mean, we're both, you know, OBGYN physicians, you know, we know the system, but we are, have also, you know, we can very well fall into this, you know, area where people still don't, don't want to listen to us either. Right. Like they're as a patient or whatever. So, I mean, tell us how you did it. How did you advocate for yourself?
1: Well, listen, I I was with the average OBGYN. Okay. I was afraid you know, certainly of recurrence. Um, I, you know, was ERPR positive stage um, 2A. I uh, did have ovarian suppression. I had, I was on tamoxifen. I wound up having my ovaries taken out because I carried the BRCA2 gene, went through premature menopause in my early thirties. And I, you know, kind of was just under the assumption, like everyone is, that I couldn't, once I completed my tamoxifen, that was it. I couldn't do anything else. And I just had to suffer. And in fact, I suffered during all of my treatment and nobody, my oncologist, my GYN, nobody ever helped me even non-hormonally with any of the Mm. side effects or or symptoms. And honestly, this was obviously 23 years ago. There was even less knowledge. And I was just honestly, I was just trying to survive. I was just trying to get through residency. And then I subsequently had a pregnancy and you know, then went back on my tamoxifen and was just kind of, and then got my ovaries out. And so I was just literally trying mm-hmm. to get by. So just like other doctors, I was afraid. And it wasn't until I finally had my ovaries taken out and I went through finally severe surgical menopause. This was like the final, yeah. you know, nail yeah. in the coffin. So And I was like really over two months, I I just became really symptomatic. And that's when I got involved in the Menopause Society and started to educate because I realized I hadn't been trained in menopause. So that's where my knowledge started, but I still didn't advocate for myself, you know, in terms of taking hormones. And let's remember, I actually went off my tamoxifen at the support of my oncologist and I had a healthy pregnancy with very yes. high levels of estrogen. Let's not forget right? that. And so, you know, so let's remember right. this, okay? And let's all, before we even like get into the HRT after breast cancer, let's remember that now ASCO, American Society of Clinical Oncology, at their last meeting, you know, celebrated the positive trial that, you know, incur- you know was very encouraging showing that women with ER-positive breast cancer could take a pause from their adjunct endocrine therapy, have, you know, two years, have a baby, high levels of hormones, get fertility treatments if they needed, and there didn't show to be any increased risk of recurrence or mortality. And I'll tell you, the data was there 23 years ago because they allowed right. me to do that. This was just a you know, more recent randomized controlled study, but there's lots of data sure. supporting that. So this is one, one little kind of piece of the puzzle that everyone should make, make them kind of question. Be like, yeah. oh, so if they're allowed to get pregnant with super high levels, how come we can't give a teardrop a little tiny bit to help them with symptoms and protect yeah. their bones and heart, right? That was like the first thing I started to think about. But then a couple number of years went by. And finally, when I read the book, Estrogen mm-hmm. Matters, so let's shout out, both are huge fans of Dr. Avram yes. Blooming and Dr. Carol Averis, who wrote the book together and they investigated book. It's a required reading for all of mm-hmm. my patients and, and you know, and really should be required reading for all mm-hmm. doctors who care. It Absolutely. So that was the first time where really I really started to understand what happened with the Women's Health Initiative, what happened with the fears around just estrogen mm-hmm. in general. And then they go one step further. There's a chapter, the whole book's not dedicated to breast cancer survivors, but there's a chapter in the book asking the very hard question, what does the data tell us about HRG after breast cancer? And so the book is Amazing for the layperson, or for anybody out there wants to read it. But um, what you know, what I want to talk about today is this mm-hmm. article, which we can put yep. a link to it, um, and anybody can email me if they want a full copy because this is yeah, behind a right. paywall. So it's called "Hormone Replacement Therapy After Breast Cancer: It Is Time" by Dr. Avram Blooming. He was invited to be the guest editor for the mm-hmm. Cancer Journal for May, June, 2022. And he invited many different researchers and contributors. And there's a a number of excellent articles. This one's the best though. And in this article, he just basically reviews in a kind of very scientific manner that you can can take this and print this up and bring this to your oncologist. And you could read this yourself because it's actually pretty easy Mm -hmm. to read. And there's some very like clear charts that look at Mm -hmm. all the data. And it basically is like, what does the data show? Because you know what, that's all we wanna know. And I think what we're going to talk about right now is going to surprise a lot of patients, you know, a lot of people listening to this. So basically, he summarized 25 studies of breast cancer survivors given HRT and what happened to the recurrence and their mortality, right?
0: And let's just, let's just do a side note. Like he's a medical oncologist who's been treating breast cancer since, I don't know, like he's in his like 50 age. years. So 50, yeah. He's like, like for a very long time. And so he's been treating breast cancer. He says he put so many women into early menopause with his treatments. Yeah. Then I think that this kind of woke him up. Uh, hopefully he'll be on the podcast one day and can tell his story, but you know, he is a medical oncologist yes. who, and he knows, the data very well. And he treats these patients all the time. Yes.
1: And, and not only that, but his wife had breast cancer and his daughter had breast cancer. And it was when his wife had breast cancer and she was suffering with, you know, the menopause after breast cancer. And she was really, really upset about her cognitive changes, her brain fog and fears about dementia. And it was when he really kind of asked himself, like, what are we doing to these these patients and what does the data tell us? So I need to have better answers for my patients. And this is what right. across the world need to start asking themselves because we are right. in an arms race of starving mm-hmm. women of their estrogen to treat their breast cancer and then across the board making knee-jerk blanket statements on what they can do with their menopause. And it's honestly, it's based on fear. And a lack of knowledge and not based on data. And I'll say, and Dr. Blooming will say always that we don't have perfect data on this. We don't. You and I know we don't have perfect data on women's sexual health, on general menopause, on hormone therapy management. We don't have perfect data. But God, we cannot wait for them to perfect perfect data. It's gonna take decades. Or it may never happen. So what we can right. do is use what is the data we have, um, not only right. randomized control studies, but yes, observational data, meta-analysis, you know, other other data points from pregnancy and other things. And, you know, we right. can use all of that, and we can make a shared yes. decision making with with. Yeah. Parents. So I think for me personally, it was his book and this article that gave me. The confidence myself professionally, as well as personally to go to my oncologist. And I basically told him what I was going to do. I mean, I didn't really get permission, but, but, but he agreed with me and accepted and supported my decision because he's an amazing oncologist, Abraham Middleman here in New York. But I know I'm privileged because I had that information and I was able to digest it. So I feel like more people need to get access to it was a long time coming for me.
0: Right. Absolutely. And I think that before we go on, and and I I would love for you to review the key points of this, we always talk about one thing when it comes to menopause care, and that is what they refer to at the recent conference as precision medicine, right? We do individualized medicine for each person, and there's no blanket way to treat people in menopause, right? Everyone has their own genetics. They have their own environmental factors, social factors. You know, everything. And so we have to hone in on the fact that everyone's journey is different and we try to do our best for each person and it's shared decision making. Women are smart, especially midlife women, like they've been through a lot. And I feel like the end of the day, if you give them the information and you give them the data and they understand their risk and you understand the risk, and we know that, you know, there's more safety than not, then they can make the decision and we can support it. We can say, like, yeah, you know what, this is not paternalistic medicine. We're gonna support your decision because you are
1: well-informed now. Absolutely. I love your point about this theme of precision medicine, and that was the theme of the Menopause Society Conference, precision oncology, really precision menopause management, um, individualized Mm -hmm. care, you know, risks versus benefits, and shared decision-making. And when you have a statement that says breast cancer is a contraindication, that's not individualized medicine. You know, just like you and I know that, like, this idea that migraines or migraines with aura is a contraindication. No, it's a contraindication right. no. for using oral containing contraception. You know, estrogen. Estradiol, Yes. But you yeah. can use you know formulation manners and all these things. You know, yes, you can right. use it. <H2> right. Such so as like a simple example, but the same holds right. true for anything in medicine. And, and certainly breast cancer, right? So, um, and I can promise doctors, oncologists, OBGYNs, and patients, it's actually not that hard. The data is not that hard to understand. This is not it's rocket not. science. I'm not like, I'm not super special. I'm not that smart. Yeah. I just cared yeah. enough to read a couple of articles. Exactly. Okay. People yes. like, you know, and this is, um, and this is also not data that is. I'm coming out of like left field or from some weird sources. These are like, yeah. you know, in the, you know, established peer-reviewed, you know, medical center. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I think that's really important. So shall we get into what this super important?
0: Yes. Thing? Let's talk about the title. The title says it all. Yeah. Hormone replacement therapy
1: after breast cancer. It is it's time, t- right? It's time. It's yes. Time. All right. So I mean, I think that. You know, because I always think that Avram, I think he, he says it best. I mean, you everyone has to read the article, and anybody who's listening here, it's behind a paypal. Well, if you email me, I will send you a copy of the article. Yes. Here, 25 studies of HRT after breast cancer diagnosis published between 1980 and 2013 are discussed, as are 20 reviews of these studies published between 1994 and 2021, Only one of the 25 studies, the HABITS trial, demonstrated an increased risk of recurrence, which was limited to local or contralateral and not distant or recurrence. None of the studies, including HABITS, reported an increase in breast cancer mortality associated with HRT. And even in the HABITS trial, the absolute increase in the number of women with a recurrence, which was localized only, associated with HRT administration, was 22. It is on the basis of these 22 patients that HRT, with its demonstrated benefits for so many aspects of women's health, is being denied to millions of breast cancer survivors around the world. I mean, come on. So, and then, so what I like to also point out, and, you know, yes, yes. so we'll we'll make this available too. So here is a chart, okay? (laughs) Here is the chart that shows the summary of the 25 studies of breast cancer survivors. And so it's very Mm -hmm. lovely because it lists all 25 studies, and it lists Mm -hmm. the years, um, the number of patients in the study, and the type. And, you know, we know that we like randomized controlled studies, right? That's like our gold standard. We don't have all randomized controlled studies. Some of these are observational, retrospective Retrospective. cohorts, prospective randomized, retrospective observational but we're taking the data that exists, right? And when you look at the results, as you go down the list, we've got reduced recurrence, reduced recurrence, reduced mortality, no recurrence, reduced recurrence, no difference, no difference, no difference, no difference, reduced mortality. You get the theme, right? So, you you know, I think to tell patients there's no safety data is not Mm -hmm. actually... Accurate. It's not true. And then yes. I think it's really important because the one study that makes all the oncologists and really everybody scared, and what made everybody get particularly fearful was the HABITS trial. And the HABITS trial was stopped, I think, in 2004. So let's remember, it's around the time of the WHI. So the mood yes, in exactly. the world the medical community it was, was re- really anti estrogen. anti-estrogen, right? So we always have mm-hmm. to think of like things in context of what's happening in the society. So HABITS comes out. And at the same time that HABITS was coming out, There was another trial called the the Stockholm trial, which had the opposite results. They were very similar studies. You can read the article to, to get into the details here. But basically, HABITs showed an increased risk of local or contralateral tumors, but no increased risk of metastasis or death. But it's a super interesting fact about the HABITs trial that they were not required to get a screening, mammogram, or breast imaging before they entered the study. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right, so that's number one. Right? Number one. Number okay. one. Number two, it was done prior to where we were able to tell whether patients were HER2 positive or negative. This is back in 2004. Right. Women who had early-stage breast cancer who were HER2 positive were not routinely being given Herceptin. I mean, treatment was really different then, okay? Different, yeah. And so mm-hmm. when, when patients got randomized to taking HRT after breast cancer or not taking HRT after breast cancer... Those two pools of patients, you know, separated or randomized or controlled for Her 2 status, even nodal status they didn't do, you know And so and they didn't have baseline imaging studies. and you and I both know that, you know, if someone enters a study with a small pre-existing breast cancer that's not clinically detectable, right, Probably within two Mm -hmm. years, it might be detectable. And that's exactly when they saw an increased risk of local or in the other breast if they had an intact breast. But it's very Mm -hmm. interesting. They never saw any distant recurrence. So it really, there's a lot of problems with that study. And right. it was published in the cancer journals, right? And so mm-hmm. that's what the oncologists say. A lot of the other, some yeah. of the other data was published in like menopause journals or primary oh. care journals. And so right. it hasn't trickled down to the oncology community. And at the same time that that study was going on, the Stockholm trial, which was a very similar population of patients, showed the actual opposite results, right? It showed no difference. Mm-hmm. No, no difference. In- no, no difference. So, so to kind of like hold women to the fire based on one study that, probably has its pros, but it has its cons yeah. too. Yeah, Is that really good medicine? No. No. And is That's that not fair really to women, right? I just I just don't right. think yeah. it's fair, right? And so I think, and then, then he goes on and there's also another table here, which is then there's like a meta-analysis. There's 20 other review articles besides these original research articles where they kind of looked back and did a meta-analysis mm-hmm. of, you know, various amounts of studies. And none of, of those review articles showed any increased risk when they look no nope. okay so when your oncologist says there's no data and you can't have this you have to push back and say actually have you read the data you know and and then I'll show me the data yeah and then I'll also tell patients like listen none of the none of this data is perfect right They are not long-term randomized controlled studies that are done on women who are being treated for breast cancer the way we treat them now Right. In 2000, this is 20 years ago, you know, we we were treating women different. So you have to remember a lot of, you know, this habits trial, women were being treated differently. Right. So that's something to to kind of consider. And I think in the end, Sumina, this is like reproductive choice and reproductive health care rights. Absolutely. Your body, your choice. And if I will. Some women have a very low risk tolerance, and I can tell them this. And they're really suffering with menopause, and they're low stage, low grade, very low risk of. Yep. They don't mm-hmm. have, they're like, no, Dr. man, it's not for me. I'll never feel comfortable because I need the perfect answer that this will not cause my breast cancer to come back. If that's you, that's okay. I respect that. It's okay. that was for a okay. Long-
0: We're not trying to push everyone no. to take
1: hormones. And if that's if you, if you don't like that the data is not perfect. I can tell you that the data is not perfect for anything that we do, you know. Yes, but, and it
0: probably will yeah. never be perfect,
1: and, and that's okay. But that's your that's your choice. But it's not the choice of an oncologist or a GYN to say that you can't have that option. Right. When we actually have reporting data that it might be safe, and you know, and then the other thing is, I think that women have to really sit back and think of like. Balance. So I'll, I'll tell patients like balance things out. So here's on one hand, you're a breast cancer survivor and you fear recurrence and you know you want to live as long as you can. But on the other side, you might have lots of symptoms that are truly impacting your quality of life. Mm-hmm. You also might be really concerned about heart disease risk and brain health and your sexual health and all of these other things, mm-hmm. right? And you deserve to be able to weigh those things and understand that you're more likely to die of heart heart disease or get dementia when you're older or break a hip and die early than you are to have your breast cancer return. And so you need to really, you know, you've got one life to live. And I think you have a right to like balance those things out. And I can't put a value on those things. Right. Right. Right.
0: Exactly. And I think that's what's important is that patients understand, but just having the knowledge that, you know what, if this is something that might help me and that is okay for me, then I'm willing to try it, right? Like if, if, if this is something that will improve my sleep, will decrease my risk of heart disease, you know, you have to look at your other stuff too. Like, do you have a lot, are you South Asian? And, and you know, in the South Asian population, we're uh, 25% of the world population, 67% of the world heart disease. And if you're a breast cancer survivor and you're South Asian, you know, that heart disease is gonna kill you more than likely before the
1: breast cancer will. And the diabetes risk, right? In South Asians, a very high diabetes. Yes, and the diabetes. Yes, and we know that HRT, you know, thirty percent decreased risk of ever getting diabetes. And if you already have diabetes, it's going to improve your glycemic control, right? Right. And so, like. 100%. We, ha- this is gets down to precision medicine, right? Right. And like, so what I, I like to do to, you know, one thing that I, I like to do with my patients is kind of like, let's, you know, first we review their history, right? Then we right. review like, what's your recurrence risk? What, what is your oncologist saying is your risk of recurrence? Let's look at mm-hmm. your oncotype. Let's look at your pathology. There's right. a wonderful tool that all of your patients should know about and demand that their doctors do with them. It's called adjuvant online onco assist. And what, and this is for estrogen receptor positive breast cancer patients, but you can kind of type in. All the details on your breast cancer, um, and your um, how many years you had adjuvant endocrine therapy—zero, five, or ten years—and it'll Mm -hmm. show you your five, your ten, and your fifteen-year risk of recurrence, right? And so. Uh, when I show that, I do that with patients. Some patients don't realize the benefits that they're getting from their adjuvant endocrine therapy and they want to stop mm-hmm. their rotation they want it to stop their tamoxifen. and I'll do it and I'll show, look,ing you've got such a good benefit. Let's find a way to keep you on it. Mm-hmm. Other people realize like I'm barely getting a benefit of this and I'm really yeah. suffering and it's yes. been three years I want to stop. I'm like, has yeah. anybody told you that you've got like a one percent benefit, but you have, a huge risk of this prolonged ovarian suppression yes that's yeah. something i do with my patients who are still in the middle of treatment but right. then once you finish that i think it's really important like you said to individualize like what are your health risks now besides breast cancer because you're more than your breast cancer look right. at your cardiac diabetes risk get lipid you know testing yeah. Get
0: react have testing. you had a coronary coronary car- arteries
1: scan, you know, calcium score. Yes, all score. of these patients should have that, coronary, yeah. artery cal- coronary artery calcium score. They should get a baseline bone density, you know really a comprehensive, full-picture look at their health. Then the next thing is, what are all your lifestyle things? Because we're always going to do those things first that we can pass down, right? Then Mm. what non-hormonal things have you tried for your vasomotor symptoms? What Mm. have you done um, non-hormonally for your bone health? You Mm -hmm. know, what have you done with local vaginal hormones for your sexual health? And for Mm -hmm. some women, you know what, if we can actually do some of those things, we don't have to go the next step to the hormone therapy, but we can, and if they want to, at any point, they can go to that next step, right? Right. And so then the next thing is, well, okay, I've explained to you, you know, what the data shows. We've, you know, looked at all of your lifestyle stuff. And now, okay, if you would like to try hormone therapy, let's talk about the best, safest options for you. And I think for most breast cancer survivors, it's pretty much the same options that anybody would have. Right. In my preference, it's a transdermal estrogen. Right. Right. Along with a micronized progesterone, but I'm also a huge, huge fan of Duo V, mm-hmm. which is conjugated estrogen paired with basodoxyphene. So yes. it's back on the market. I think it's yeah. a fabulous option for breast cancer survivors who have intact yeah. breast in particular yep. because it's an estrogen paired with a selective estrogen, something similar to, yeah. it's and it's not technically a CERM, but it's, it, it, Degradates the estrogen receptor yep. in breast tissue as well as in the uterus, so that there's no estrogen impact basically on the breasts, and theoretically, no impact of it um, if there's floating right. breast cancer cells sitting out there. So, so I think do via low dose patch and, or and with progesterone could be a lovely combination right. for for these women, and that's what I did for myself. I started myself on the 0.025 patch with 100 mil- milligrams of oral micronized progesterone at night the blessing of my oncologist and i will tell you samina within two weeks and i i actually get teary-eyed when i think about it within two weeks it felt like someone put a yeah. light switch on in my mm-hmm. brain in my body i stopped weight joint pain i mm-hmm. had energy i stopped mm-hmm. my sexual health improved my mood improved my anxiety improved and samina it had been oh, well, yeah. almost 20 years i mean in my 23 yes. years, I had a pregnancy. Right. There was times when I was on tamoxifen and I was still having my, I still had ovarian hormone production. Yeah. I was not in menopause yet when I was on tamoxifen. Sometimes I used Lupron for a number of years. I didn't use Lupron. And so I did have my estrogen. So it wasn't 23 yeah. years total of being in menopause, but there was a lot of, you know, times of temporary menopause. But I had mm-hmm. gone, I was past yeah. that 10-year window. I'm going to tell people. Yes. Yes. Can you do it past the 10-year window? This is another thing that comes up, Right whatever. Yes. I be like well great doctor but now you tell me I'm past the 10 year window. Again yeah. shared decision individual risks and benefits right? And so for me lower dose a transdermal I did my coronary calcium score I, I didn't have a high cardiac risk I felt safe doing it it's been a year I did all of that. yeah and so you know just like breast yes. cancer survivors women who are out of the 10 year window do deserve a shared decision making so i i'm kind of both <laughs> mm-hmm. and I, I when i tell you it's it's mm-hmm. changed my life i was able to get off my effects my controls way better i'm finally able to like my yeah. waist came back yeah. because now yeah. my exercise results are actually you know efforts are being like I'm like living I'm like a living yes. lab of what I've found changes and I feel right. good about my decision. And it may not be the decision for anybody everybody, and I'll probably get heat for even saying this, but it's but I'm willing to take that heat because it's ridiculous that we're not talking about
0: right. It. And we have to know our options, you know, you have to know your options you know, everyone says menopause is having a moment, menopause is having, but it's not having a moment for breast cancer survivors or previvors because they're still being eliminated from the discussion, which was why this discussion was so important for us. Because I think that, and why, what the work that you're doing that that I love is so important because, because that's unfortunate. I think that breast cancer survivors, thrivers, previvors are still being left out of the conversation over and over again.
1: And so I'm going to ask you on air. We are, me and another colleague, we are interested in writing up a protocol, an, an example of how you can, you know, do shared decision making and how to counsel patients who are breast cancer survivors, um, and basically just like, what's a protocol that could be used that other providers could could offer? Mm-hmm. So maybe you might help me draft that. Yeah, protocol. would love to. Hundred so about shared decision making. So I feel like we get who, you know, healthcare providers out there who really are, you know, passionate about, about helping women, all women, yes. even breast cancer yes. deal with, and I know your specialty compared to mine is you really have such a great knowledge base on women's sexual health. Right. And that's what I've learned so much from you. And I feel like that is also part of the reason why some breast cancer survivors might want to start hormone therapy. Right. Because talk a lot about the menopause symptoms, but it's also sexual desire, right. sexual health and wellness. Yes. And so, you know, I think that's another part of it that, you know, that's that's the next, next frontier. I <laughs> you know, yeah. And also testosterone in these women, yeah. which I'm starting testosterone on as well. And that there is actually data in the Cancer Journal that Avram um was the guest editor, there was a, a beautiful article about testosterone and breast cancer risk, and you know, very reassuring. So, yes. you know, so yeah. So I think we've got a lot of work to do, you and yes,
0: I. Yes, let's do it. I'm down for this. Yeah. You know, so Thank you so much for, you know, coming on my podcast. You're my first expert and first first medical expert plus, you know, patient story, which I love that, you know, I'm going to be- calling
1: up the provider survivor. Providers.
0: <laughs> there you go. But, you know, those are very important. Like I said, the only way we can learn to advocate for ourselves is to educate ourselves. So that's what you and I love to do. We love to s- spread the word, educate as much as we can. And- um, You know, there's going to be more to come, and and Corinne and I are going to work together even more, I think, in the future. So that will be great. Mm -hmm. But thanks, Dr. Mann, again, and thanks for tuning in. You know, um, we'll have another episode coming up with more information about, you know, Women's Health Initiative. We're going to talk more about that and everything to do with menopause sex, hormones, and drugs. So we'll get into more in the upcoming episodes. So thanks for listening. If you have a second, please subscribe to this podcast. I'd love for you to be a follower and learn as much as you can about the things that we're going to talk about with all the people on our journey. Please review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. These reviews really help. Review us, comment, tell me what else you want to hear to get more information my practice website is www.cgcchicago.com my website for gyno girl is www.gynogirltv.com my instagram is gyno girl so please follow me for some good content additionally i have a youtube channel gyno girl tv where i love to talk about all these things on youtube and please subscribe to my newsletter gyno girl news which will be available on my website i will see you next time